Welcome to a fantastic word from Pastor Marcus Dunham, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, if you're ready to jump to the word, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. And the title of the message today is Rise and Go. Rise and go. Man, that's a pretty direct command. If somebody ever tells you to rise and go, you know, you, you, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, they're telling you to get up out of there or go somewhere. You're being sent somewhere. You're being commanded. And um, after doing some study, I, I really spent some time in studying this, there are actually many, many instances of God telling someone to rise and go. In the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, in the historical books, uh, some of the, uh, the, the prophetic books, even in the New Testament, there are a lot of places and many instances of God telling people to rise and go, many of them. And, uh, but what does he mean? You know, what did he mean whenever he, you know, what is he getting at when he says rise and go? You know, I rise and go to the bathroom just about every night. You know, I, I don't know if that's what he was, I'm pretty sure that's not what he was referring to, but you know, um, he says to rise and go. But as I mentioned, there are plenty of instances that God, is, uh, that, that God uh, commands someone to rise and go. And I can name a lot of them, but I'm just going to list off just a few in the, um, in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus in Luke 17, he, uh, uh, um, he is telling to one of the ten lepers who came back after they were healed um, of their leprosy, uh, Jesus tells him to rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, God tells Philip to rise and go to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 10, verse 20, God tells Peter to rise and go and to meet with three men who were sent by Cornelius. And as I mentioned, there are many others, but today we are going to focus on one instance here in Acts chapter 9 where God tells someone else, to rise and go. So let's go ahead. We're going to begin in verse 1 if you have it, if you have your Bibles with you. If not, then you can follow along on the screen. It says this in verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, what would drive somebody to go and do something at this level? Because the indication is that Saul was acting on his own endeavors. You know, the, the Pharisees didn't agree with the way, they didn't agree with this, this, this Christian explosion that was happening as they were followers of Judaism. But they weren't going out and arresting and, and killing Christians. But something was compelling Saul. So just a little bit of background on Saul. He was a faithful follower of Judaism, so much so that he felt the responsibility to get rid of this growing sect under uh, um, an outshoot of what he saw as Judaism. And he studied under 
one of the most famous and respected uh, uh, Pharisees of this time named Gamaliel, who was also one of the leaders in the Jewish Sanhedrin. And so he grew up and was raised under a very strict uh, teaching of the law, which might give way and give reason to why he was so bent on being so serious about getting rid of the Christians that were, that were, that were growing continually. And uh, in fact, uh, in Acts chapter 7, it appears not only that Saul was there whenever a man named uh, uh, Stephen was stoned uh, there, but also it looked like he actually might have been the ringleader, the person who was behind him being killed. It, it, it says that those who were there who were about to cast their stones took their, their garments off, threw them at his feet, and they went to business. It seemed like this was, you know, you know, Saul, he was really bent on making this happen because it, it was something that was serious to him. And not only that, but Saul got his direct permission, not directions or orders, but permission from the high priest of that day, who was the highest form of leadership amongst Jews at that time. And he was rounding up Christians who professed to follow Jesus, and he would arrest them, and in some cases, they would be killed. They would be put on trial, and they'd be cast in chains. And this is what was happening here in uh, Acts chapter 9. He got his orders, excuse me, he got his permission, a grant from the high priest to go to Damascus to find even more Christians to arrest them, bound them up, and bring them back to Jerusalem. And so that is what is happening right now. That gives you an idea, a picture of Saul, okay? So, but while he's on his way to accomplish his goal, something happens to Saul. Let's go ahead and read. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, not seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Saul is on his way to Damascus to accomplish his goal of rounding up more Christians. And all of a sudden, he has this real encounter with Jesus. In fact, it was a very dramatic encounter that he has with Jesus. Jesus is reaching out to Saul. He gets a hold of Saul. And right there, he, he, he catches him in a moment. And what, what, what ensues to happen is Saul is there trying to make sense of what's going on. He calls it out to Lord. He, know that, he knows that there's something divine happening, but he says, who are you, Lord? And you can tell that there is a bit of a wrestling. He's trying to figure out and make sense of what is happening. You know, after he gets up, he's blind, and then he, and he has to be led to Damascus. 
God is reaching out to Saul in this moment, trying to make sense. He's trying to make sense of what is going on. And so while he, while he has Saul being led to Damascus, on the other hand, God is reaching out to Ananias. So let's, let, uh, let's keep reading. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in, um, at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Wow. Man, what a story. Ananias I find what really interesting, Saul was on, already on his way to Damascus, but God had already had a plan in place for Saul. And as he sent Saul to Damascus, he reaches out to somebody else, Ananias, who lived in Damascus and had things ready. He was orchestrating this thing the entire time. But I find it interesting, God is reaching out to Saul on one hand, and then he's reaching out to Ananias on another he reaches out to Saul, who was an unbeliever and who was persecuting his church. And still, while he was the man that was single-handedly responsible for the majority of Christians who were in prison at that time or who had been killed, yet God had a plan for him. God had a plan for Saul. And suddenly, Saul becomes aware of Jesus. He becomes aware of, of, of what is happening, but he doesn't know how to make sense of what's happening in this moment. Jesus was calling Saul, but Saul had not fully grasped what Jesus had for him. And so while he had that going, on the other side, he reaches out to Ananias. And of course, it was clear that Ananias knew Saul. He was very familiar. In fact, It'd be almost impossible for you to be a Christian at this time and not know who Saul was. Because if you were a Christian, you knew that you had a target on your back, mainly from this guy. And Ananias, he didn't want anything to do with Saul. It, you know, I think it's fair to say that he was afraid. He was a guy that he didn't, he, he didn't want to be around him. He wanted nothing to do with him. He, if, you know, when you heard the name Saul, in fact, it tells us, that Christians scattered, they all scattered whenever I'm at the stoning of Stephen. So clearly there was a fear there, but God had already had Saul packaged 
and ready to go. He had him ready, but all he needed was a faithful vessel. All he needed was somebody to go in and close the deal. And he calls out to Ananias. Now, what I find interesting here is that Ananias, it says that he was a disciple. He was a follower. You know, I'm sure that there were pastors. I'm sure that there were even apostles in the area. And, you know, maybe Ananias was a pastor, but it doesn't say here. But, you know, he could have reached out to anybody. But he calls this man Ananias, a disciple, a follower. And, and he calls for him to go and to witness to Saul. Man, I can only imagine. I mean, can you imagine being in Ananias' shoes? Just imagining, like, really, Saul? Like, this guy? You know, like, really? You want me to witness to this guy? You know, I mean, you know, he's probably praying, in, you know, the entire way on his way there. You know, but uh, he, only, he really didn't want to do it. But he got over his fear. He got over his point of view, you see, because, you know, he, he couldn't get past initially the way that he knew Saul. He couldn't get past, you know, what he, all, you know, what everybody already knew about him. He couldn't get past his fear initially, his point of view, but then eventually he was able to take that step. You know, he could only see Saul for who he had been. But it took God having to wrestle with Ananias, but eventually he committed. You see, God needed Ananias, but it was because he needed Saul. He had a plan for Saul, but he needed somebody to close the deal. He needed somebody to meet with him. Just as Pastor Ron has said before, Saul was on the edge of salvation. I'm sure you've heard Pastor Ron say that before. Saul was on the edge, ready to be saved. All he needed was a faithful vessel. You see, the Holy Spirit was already doing the work in his heart. He was already prepping him for the harvest. All he was needing was someone to go in and to receive that harvest. You see, just as God is calling unbelievers to himself, he is also calling believers to his service. Let me say that again. Just as God is calling unbelievers to himself, he is also calling believers to his service. For every unbeliever, God needs a believer. For every person that doesn't know Jesus, he needs someone who does. Every day there are people who are being called by God. Every day there are people who are, there are believers who are wrestling with fear but God is calling to close the deal for somebody in their life. You know, as crazy and as amazing as this story sounds of Saul and his conversion, it happens every single day. There are people who are being prepped and primed and ready for salvation that are trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe things are just a little off for them. They're trying to figure out what's happening, but God is preparing them, and he's needing for somebody to go in and close that deal. You see, God needed Ananias because God needed Saul. God needs believers because God needs unbelievers. And God needs you because God needs your friends. 
He needs your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, even your enemies. You know, many times, you know, I know I've, I've been there before imagining, man, I cannot imagine so-and-so. I could not imagine this person getting saved. But, you know, it may not be that hard for God to get someone ready to receive salvation. It may not be as hard as we think. But after reading this, perhaps we may be the ones that are hard to get on board. That's something to think about. You know, I mean, this is Saul we're talking about. For us, you know, we're removed from this. But if we were there, this, I mean, the last person you're thinking about is Saul. I'm sure no one even imagined, you know, they probably imagined he was the Antichrist. I don't know. But yet God was preparing him and priming him and making him ready. And all he needed was Ananias to go, to rise and go. What if someone struggled to obey the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with you? Think about that. I was thinking about that yesterday. You know, what if, what if they didn't? You know, what if somebody didn't share the gospel with you? You know, we couldn't even imagine that. But we must remember that there are so many people every day who are still dead in their sins, who may most likely be ready and are primed, ready for someone to tell them about Jesus. You know, many people look hard on the exterior, but God is doing the real work on the inside. Many people look hard on the outside, but God is doing the real work on the inside. And you know what? That was the case with me. I still remember, man, you know, I was, I was so hardened to life. I had gone through so much trauma, you know, by 14 years old that I just had, I just, I just created a facade. I wasn't letting anybody in. I didn't, you know, I, people may have thought that I was allowing them to be my friends, but really I wasn't. I didn't want anybody else in because I didn't want to be hurt again. And so I, I, I had a very hard exterior. And then came this young lady named Jenny, walking her dog, inviting me to church every week. And I kept telling her, no, I wasn't going to church. But eventually I finally said yes. I don't know how many times, she, you know, she invited us, Chris, but our entire family went to church. And eventually I went to church camp. And I didn't know anybody at church camp. In fact, I want to show this picture real fast. This, this picture came up on my, on my feed. This is me at 14 years old. And this is actually me at camp. This was the day I got to camp. This was me literally hours before I gave my life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I, I'm looking at, I mean, I know y'all never seen me with a do-rag on before, but... That, that raggedy do-rag I had on. But man, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know anybody. But I was there because of basketball and a cute girl. But I remember that night hearing about Jesus. And I had heard about him before. But for some reason, it was real. And I knew that I needed Jesus. And I, but I didn't want anybody to know that I needed him. And I, I didn't know how to move. I knew I needed to go to the front, but I just couldn't get myself to move. And I still don't know to this day, but somehow, some way, I ended up in the front on my knees with my face to the floor, and I just let it all out right there. I gave my heart to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus, my hurt, my pains, everything. I laid it down. And I remember, you know, however long I was on the ground, I got up, and I still remember to this day looking 
and the whole world just seemed new. Like, I, I mean, I had new eyes, new ears. Everything was new to me. It was a new heart. It was phenomenal. And let me show you one more picture. Uh, let me show you one more picture. I came across these just yesterday. That's me right there the next day at the front worshiping Jesus. I came across these pictures the other day, and I, and I just couldn't. I was so thankful to have these pictures. But that was literally me the next day at the front. Before the first night, I was at the back. The next morning, the next day, I was there in the front. But you know what? That would not have happened if it wasn't for Jenny. Jenny was my Ananias. She came and she shared Jesus with me. She invited me to her church. And, you know, she was, what, 15, 16 years old, inviting me to church, inviting me to church, inviting me to church. And eventually, I gave my life to Jesus. The Lord saved me. I'm sure people looking at me, you know, going to church thought, man, who is this kid, man? You know, they may have thought, man, I don't know. You know, he, you know, he, he, you know, let's just pray and hope that he sticks with it, you know. Man, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. And you have your story. Someone was your Ananias. Do you remember who that was? Someone was your Ananias. And God is needing you to be someone else's Ananias. He's needing for you to rise and go and for somebody in your life. A few takeaways. Number one, God has a plan. He has a plan. Man, I'm so thankful that God has a plan. You know, he, it's, it's, he is orchestrating everything. And, you know, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan. His desire is that you will be blessed. His desire is that, you know, that you will be covered and that, and that his favor would be on you. That is his desire for you. But he also has a bigger plan. He has a specific plan for you, and he also has a sovereign plan that includes everyone. And, 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 and it extends over time. You know, with God's plan, it's amazing that we have, we have an a integral part in his plan. That you play a part in that plan. There's a place for you. And it's connecting to someone else, re receiving Jesus. You see, God has a plan. Number two, God needs unbelievers to be saved. He needs unbelievers to be saved. Acts 9, 9 verse 15 says this, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God needed Saul. He had a plan for him. Even before he even received Jesus, before he got saved, he had a plan for him. That's something to think about. The people that are in our life that don't know Jesus, God has a plan for him for the, and for her. He, he, he needs them. He needed Saul in the same way he needs the people that are in our life. It's important to know that God has a plan for people long before they're saved. God has a plan. He, 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 he is in need of unbelievers because of his plan for them. 
God knew his plans for you before you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. You see, whenever we see a person at work or in our family or somebody who is just, maybe they're just difficult, somebody who we're trying to get along with, somebody that we don't want to, you know, we just choose not to deal with. For every person that we see, God sees a soul and God sees an instrument that he's preordained for his purpose and for his plans. God needs unbelievers to be saved. And number three, God needs you to participate. God needed Ananias to rise and go. He needed him. He called out to him. And no doubt, I think if Ananias didn't go, he would call out to to another one of his faithful servants. But just think about the people that you have led to Jesus. They're saved because of the part that you played. You were there, Ananias. And there's somebody in your family, there's someone uh, who, who is working with you, you know, somebody that God is marking in your life for you to be there, Ananias. God needs us to rise and go. Matthew 9, verse 37 through 38 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is praying for us and praying that we will be that Ananias. Just as God is calling unbelievers to himself, he is calling believers to his service. And God's plan relies on us doing our part. Isn't that interesting? That is so interesting to me. I don't know why that, you know, that God set it up that way to where he would use his church, his people, those that he has called to reach those who are yet to be saved. You are critical to God's plan, and you are also critical to someone else's life. Let us do our part in sharing Jesus with others. And let me encourage you, maybe you have been sharing Jesus with somebody. Let me encourage you just to continue to love them. And when the opportunity comes, share Jesus with them again. Because it's not on the outside. God is not doing the work on the outside. He's doing the work on the inside. It's on the inside that he's stirring them. And we don't know their thoughts. We don't know what is happening in their life, but the Holy Spirit, he is using every opportunity that we take, every opportunity. You know, we don't know what, that, you know, what has happened between the time that we last saw him and the time that we saw him again. God might have sent somebody else to water that seed. But as we continue to be faithful, there will be a moment where they are ready. They are ready. I mean, Saul was packaged and ready to go. And Ananias closed the deal. That may be the same thing for the person that we're sharing Jesus with. Let me encourage you, continue, continue, continue to share Jesus. And let us overcome our fears, our concerns, our, 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 you know, our preconceived notions, our point of views about people that we imagine that we can never see coming to Jesus. Because they may be right there. They may be right there. You never know who you are leading to the Lord. You never know who you are inviting to church. Man, you know, I know you guys have heard this testimony before, but I just think about, Pastor Ron has told Ms. Brenda's testimony so many times. 
you know, you being in England, and, you know, you know, we all get word pictures in our mind, and I'm sure that the picture of the cafe that I have is not the same exact thing, but I still think about all that he did in that moment. Melinda was telling me just the other day about her friend Irma. She had a moment that she, everything just came to a moment, and no doubt God had been wrestling with Melinda, but in that moment, her friend Irma witnessed to her, and it was that night that she went home, and she prayed and to God, fell asleep crying, the next day, she knew she was changed. We can keep going testimony after testimony, but let me tell you, you never know who you're inviting to church, and you never know who you're witnessing to. Amen? Ananias had no idea who he was bringing to Jesus. Something to think about. Let us not see unbelievers only through our own eyes. Let's see him through Jesus's. Amen? Let's pray. In fact, if you got somebody in your mind, maybe there's somebody in your life, somebody in your family that doesn't know Jesus, let's lift them up in prayer for just a moment. Father God, we just lift up these people, Lord God, the people that you have placed in our life, Father. And Lord God, you have called us to rise and go. Lord God, to share with them, God, what you have done in our life to share with them, God, our testimony, to share with them, Lord, what you did for us, Lord, to invite them to church, Lord, God, to be a light to them, Father. God, I pray that right now, Lord, even now, God, that you would continue to deal with them. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue, God, to draw them. Lord, I pray that you would continue, Father, God, to minister to them, Lord, to the day and the moment, Lord, that they are ready to receive salvation, Lord, bless them. And God, right now, God, I lift us all up, Father. God, I pray for us here today. God, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us, Lord, God, to be ready, Father, God, to step out, to rise and go. Lord God, when you call us, Lord, when you put it on our heart, Father, to go and to share you, to share Jesus with them, Lord. God, that we would witness to them, Father. God, that we would be a witness to them. And Lord God, that we would invite them to church, God, invite them to our homes, Lord, that we would witness and share Jesus with them, Father. And God, it may be that moment, Lord, but God, you know the time. I just pray, Father God, that we would be ready, Father. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, if you receive that, say amen and amen. Thanks again for joining us for this incredible word from Pastor Marcus Dunham. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.